surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and I hope that you all are getting through your week thriving. I hope you are taking space for yourself, that you are prioritizing yourself, that you are allowing space for rest, all of the things. I'm sending all of you some positive healing vibes. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share something that I've been doing pretty consistently that has actually helped me feel quite good. (laughs) And I know sometimes affirmations, in this episode, we will get a bit more into mental health, um, but I know sometimes affirmations feel a little like frou-frou-y, you know, like, oh, what's it really doing? But I have found myself for many months now in a scarcity mindset. And I've unpacked, you know, how that is a consequence of white supremacy. And if I want to be anti-racist, if I want to, you know, unpack the, the messaging that I've internalized throughout my life, that I have to step away from a scarcity mindset. So when I've started to feel that kind of like, you know, like, oh, money, a lot of money's going out, like, oh, you know, just stressing about money, stressing about, you know, um, just community, right? Just feeling like things are scarce, like I'm going to lose things or like, do, like there's not enough of things, right? Like, like there's not enough energy. There's not enough um, anything really. <laughs> I don't know how to just how to describe it, but it's like you can feel it. You can feel this just, ugh, there's not enough. I, I have to, this like urgency, right? To acquire, to gain. And I've had to stop myself. And the thing that I keep coming back to is this one word that I have, I kid you not, just started saying randomly throughout the day, if I get that feeling, that scarcity feeling, or if I'm just kind of processing what's happening, I'll just say it out loud. And that word is abundance. Abundance, abundance, abundance. And I just repeat it to myself. (laughs) In the car, I yell it a bit. (laughs) But... And it might, it might sound silly, but I'm telling you, when you really actually put this stuff into practice, it's like you can feel it, you know? And even in like a lot of my work lately, you know, reframing so much of the internal dialogue that we have with ourselves and changing that inner roommate that we have from this negative, critical voice that is actually hurting underneath that, right? Changing that to an affirming, a supportive, a compassionate voice for ourselves. And so abundance has just been coming up for me. And, you know, I've said in the past, like, oh, like manifest things, you know, and I don't know how you actually do that or how that actually works. But I do think that I am someone who forebodes joy as a vulnerability armor, right? And 
a large part of how that actually shows up is in those moments where you are feeling joy and immediately you want to snap yourself out of it and you think of the worst possible thing ever. One of the most classic common examples of this is for a newborn mom looking at her child in the crib, feeling so overjoyed, feeling so happy, and then immediately needing to check and make sure that the baby's breathing, right? Having this image, this fear of, oh, wait, don't be this happy right now because what if something's wrong? I do that so much. (laughs) That is my biggest uh, vulnerability armor. And when I can step out of that a little bit and affirm myself and allow myself to sit in abundance. I, I, I hope I'm making sense for some of y'all. I just wanted to share this like thing that I've been sitting in and reflecting on. And I know in a lot of the podcast episodes, I don't necessarily share what's going on for me. And it's usually like the guest story, but I just felt like this was something really helpful to share because... It sounds a little silly, but it feels different because it is what we're putting out there. It's the energy that we are sitting in. If I'm sitting in that energy of like, oh, wow, I'm driving down I-5 and the mountains around. It's so beautiful and I can see the water and wow, look at the sunset. Oh my gosh, life is so beautiful. I'm so happy. This is amazing. Oh my God. What if my tire blows out? Oh my God. And I have the top down. My head's going to scrape across the concrete. Oh my God, I'm just going to die. And then, you know, like all the, 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 you play out the whole scenario. Oh, sorry. That was, that's, that's my plumber who's cute. Uh, but um, it is that anxiety really that's coming up that is holding you back from being able to actually be present, right? And sit in that moment and allow yourself to have that present moment of joy. And for me, that's wanting to sit in abundance that you can have that feeling abundantly, right? We don't have to have scarcity of joy, of pleasure. We don't have to limit ourselves of those feelings. And we also don't have to get ourselves in such a freaking panic, especially for me lately has been money. I, you know, as a cancer, I hoard my money and I am very frugal and I'm very particular on what I spend my money on. And, you know, trying to sit in abundance that money comes and money goes. And I never know where I will be at tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, two years from now. So be here now in the most present way, in the most compassionate way, in the most supportive way, an affirming way that I can be. And lately that has just been in welcoming, harnessing, living in, believing, ooh, believing in abundance, abundance. Abundance. That's that's my word. That has been my word. I hope that this word can help you in some way. I hope when you are driving to pick up your child, you say out loud to yourself, abundance. I hope that when you are running your errands and 
freaking out that you're going to be late to get to work, that you remind yourself of abundance, that when you are, I don't know, doing anything literally <laughs> that is creating you stress or, or triggering a panic or urgency or stress of um, scarcity, that you can just think and then vocalize, actually say it, abundance. I hope you say it right now with me. Abundance. You are worthy of abundance. Okay. Well, that was my little rant. And I hope it was helpful. And I am so excited to share with y'all today's guest. I have loved, loved... Honestly, it has been a thrill to follow her on Instagram, Kelly Yu. Y'all might already follow her. She is a notable social media influencer. She's a speaker and honestly, a very celebrated mental health advocate. In 2018, she created and coined the Instagram and YouTube series Therapy Thursday to share just how beautiful and meaningful connecting with the most raw, vulnerable parts of yourself can be which is also why I felt comfortable to share my own little reflection here at the beginning of this episode, knowing that this whole conversation with Kelly Yu was around mental health. And I just love all of her vibes. Kelly aspires to inspire those who struggle with their relationship with their bodies, food, trauma, and recovery. She honestly should probably come on several other podcasts, uh, episodes because there's so many things we could get into. Uh, she's incredibly passionate about breaking the stigma on mental health through keynote speeches. She has spoken at Tufts University, Bradley, Purdue, the National Eating Disorder Association, um, and Dove's first ever virtual global summit. Kelly has overcome eating disorders, anxiety, and depression, and is grateful to share her journey and help others to help themselves, which, wow. <laughs> I knew me, I knew we was aligned, all right, y'all. I knew we was aligned, but the fact that part of her purpose is to help others help themselves just really hits me as well. Uh, And yes, that's because I'm reading from part of her bio. That's what I just said. Um, And on my therapy website, literally 2016, when I was creating the foundation of what my practice was and who I was going to be as a therapist, my number one goal, approach, philosophy was that I am here to help you help yourself. Beautiful fucking love Kelly. I really hope y'all go follow her on Instagram and I hope that you love this conversation with her. I absolutely loved it. So without any further ado and solo talking from myself, let's talk about it. All right. Welcome Kelly Yu to the show. I am so excited to have you here. 
Uh, I am so excited to be here. Taylor, thank you so much for having me on. And this is the first time we get to really meet and hang out, even though we're looking at each other on Zoom. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is this is the new way to hang is on Zoom. <laughs> but great. I mean, it's more intimate because I'm in your room. So, I mean... Yes, this is true. Yes, yes. We are in each other's homes right now. Um, and it, it I... This is part of what I love about podcasting because I've followed you for a while and love everything that you share and where I'm like, oh, I feel like I really fuck with this girl. And like, I love how authentic and transparent and like, while also having boundaries and just honest you are about sharing your story and about the things that you've been through. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing the way that you do on your platform because I know it's hard and I know it's exhausting, but I also know it makes a huge difference. Thank you. And you know, I love that you love that I love talking about my butt and the fact yes. that I can't poop. So yes. I mean, what I am honored here and I love your content and what you bring to this world. And actually I heard of you through my wonderful friend, Kenzie Brenna oh, and, yeah. and, and so many, just so many others in our sweet community, just all over that social media world, mm-hmm. I've seen you around. And so I'm really glad we're connecting and you all get to hear some spiciness, I think, coming up there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All the spiciness. <laughs> um, I love that you found me through Kenzie. Um, been wanting to have her on the podcast a while, as well and love her. Um, I mean, she's fantastic. Yes. So um, I'd love to know that. Um, I would love <laughs> to kind of start off just learning a little bit about kind of how you even like got started building your platform Mm. on Instagram? You know, Taylor, I feel like you might think the same thing. It's so weird to call it a platform. I started just (laughs) posting uh, pictures of my food and being like, ooh, guys, I did this workout and I'm so healthy because Instagram for me and a lot of us actually started when fitness was really big. Yeah, I felt like that was the biggest cult following environment mm-hmm. of Instagram before all else blew up, right? Oh yeah. All the before and afters. That's that Instagram was the place Ooh. to go for all those before and afters and the meal plans. Yes. Oh my goodness. So we were all bragging about how much sugar-free syrup we could eat and all these delts we were training and our mm-hmm. legs and things like that. So that's really how I started. Um, mm-hmm. I had always struggled with eating disorders and oops, and body image and my relationship with food binge eating had always been such a big part of my life. I was anorexic when I was 10. Obviously I didn't know I didn't know any of this yeah. stuff. I was about like yeah. 23. Yeah. So in retrospect, but so coming to Instagram where everyone was really validating mm-hmm. the disordered mindset was so validating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got so swept up in it. I ended up gaining a big following starting from them. And it was just really fun to meet friends. It was the first time I had done an online community type of thing. And I really needed that because in my own personal life, I had a lot of uh, difficulty connecting with people because I think of my inner struggles, you know, eating disorder, the self-consciousness, oh, yeah. the depression, anxiety. I was slightly agoraphobic even. You know, when mm-hmm. you just are suffering so much, you don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's too much going on up here to have any kind of clarity or, you know, feeling of safety to interact with other people. Absolutely. Right. And so I just started feeling like I really belonged, but then I noticed that my behaviors were getting so much worse or just they weren't getting better. I mean, we just replaced starving with macro counting with exercising profusely. Mm -hmm. And I think two years into it, I started just 
realizing in my real life, I was so miserable and I started going to therapy and it wasn't hell. Yeah, girl, that my podcast is called therapy Thursday. That's how obsessed I am with it. (laughs) But, um, I felt like if I'm binge eating secretly and eating Pop-Tarts in my pantry, but then trying to work out twice a day in this world, there has to be someone else doing that. Mm -hmm. There just has to. So I remember my Instagram name used to be Kelly, you fit Taylor. Oh yeah. (laughs) You went there. I I really was in it. And I decided one day I need to post about, hey, by the way, everyone, I have binge eating and I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And this whole world that we're in, I'm not sure if anyone else is not okay, but I'm definitely not doing well. Mm -hmm. And I'm changing my Instagram name. And I think from then it just, I changed. And I'm sure you saw this too, that the big coming up of the body positivity, self-love atmosphere, Mm -hmm. it all kind of imploded at once. So that was helpful. It kind of carried me into the next phase of actually trying to heal Mm -hmm. um, this really toxic relationship I had with myself my whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever experience that in your journey? I mean, I I think every human kind of has struggles with that stuff but Instagram was like another thing yeah see when I started off my Instagram it was all my foster kittens and my green juices and my garden it was literally just all my transition to like essentially being vegan and uh cats that's all it was I love that (laughs) um you have a big big demographic right there Honestly, I'm like, working that's on, a- I'm working on going back to that content. I'm like, you know what? Once mm-hmm. I move in and I can have fosters again, all the feed is just going to be cats and my plants. And that's my happy place. And that's how I started off on Instagram. Um, but, you know, I think yeah. I think my experience is very different. I think, you know, growing up, I actually experienced a lot of kind of the disordered eating, restrictive eating, um, you know, kind of almost like desperate exercising, um, from my mom, um, who struggled a lot with her weight and ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And I, because of mostly because of genetics, am thin and, and what people look at as, you know, a quote unquote healthy or, or toned or fit body. Um, so I went through my own kind of like image issues, but it wasn't necessarily around my weight. Um, but there were definitely times where like I internalized that anti-fatness and would want to like hold on to like my thinness, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. I've definitely done a lot of work to unpack all of that, but I think, you know, I witnessed a lot of that through my mom and always just felt like, why you don't have to go for an extra run because you want to have another glass of wine. Like, stop doing that to yourself. Like, I was just like, you know, I love you and I see how you are. And that doesn't matter to me if you weigh a little bit more than what you weigh now. Like, that doesn't change. I just, I think I so badly wanted to help her in that, that... I didn't take on that. Plus, I also wasn't experiencing the shaming and the um, anti-fatness from society in the way that she would. Um, so it's a little bit of a different experience, but um, 
you know, definitely witnessed it with, with folks around me. I remember in middle school, my best friend was bulimic and I went to mm-hmm. therapy with her. Um, to oh, how, yeah, that whole friendship is a whole thing. She ended up calling me the N word and then I tried to run away from home. So it was really terrible oh but god okay that there's a big trauma bond going on there <laughs> i know a lot it. about trauma bonds oh yes all right we're gonna take a short break right here because i got something i want to share with y'all a little bit of a transition here so uh y'all know i've been doing so many things with the house renovation and i have just been nonstop on the go and y'all know i like to eat plant-based i want to nourish myself. I want to eat whole foods and foods that are organic and that are just going to actually help nourish and fuel me. And I also just haven't had a lot of time to make things for myself. So I've been using Saqqara and I'm really, really excited to share them with y'all. I sincerely hope that y'all check them out uh, because they make these like chef crafted plant rich meals uh, delivered to my door. And they also offer daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas, all to help support your nutrition. They really have been saving me, (laughs) okay? They have chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, dinners, um, and they're all backed by cutting-edge science, uh, nutrition to help boost your health, stoke that glow, and delivered fresh to your door. When I got the package, it literally said packaged, and it was on that date that it was delivered. And I was like, oh, I love this. This is exactly what I need. And it's all labeled too throughout the week. So I was like, really got through my week because of Saqqara. So I hope that y'all check them out because right now Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to Saqqara.com slash Taylor or enter the code Taylor at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Taylor. And you can get 20% off your first order. So y'all take advantage of this discount and get yourself a chef crafted like nutritiously balanced delicious <laughs> chef organic whole food meal delivered right to your door again that's 20% off your first order at sakara.com slash taylor all right and with all of that said now that y'all know how i've been getting in through my week <laughs> while maintaining like maintaining actually nourishing my body uh we can get back to the show and again major shout out to sakara love having them be a sponsor of the podcast so with all that said we can get right back into it i love that you also brought up how certain relationships whether it be to a parent or with friends can really it can change you. It can mm-hmm. mold you. It can also help you heal from stuff. Yeah. It, can, it can also get you sicker mm-hmm. because those are the ways that we bond with people or we learn from people. And I, I do think that it's been helpful in a lot of ways to notice how much of a terrible relationship I had with myself was only kind of a reflection of my relationship with family yeah. and, and things like that. It had really nothing to do with food or body or weight. Mm. Those were great ways for me to fixate on things I could yes. fixate yeah, on. Yeah, the things that frankly. you feel like you can control. Totally. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Never got the control that I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Never came. Yeah. Well, when you say that this whole experience for you kind of started around 10, maybe in your work mm-hmm. and in therapy and unpacking some of this experience, you know, what do you think was kind of like the catalyst for that? Oh, 
when I started going to therapy, I remember I went in and I said, hey, I have really bad binge eating. Help me fix this. Because that's a lot of the reasons why anyone really goes to therapy. You notice something, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, it's bad. You label it as wrong and you want to change, hence fix. And I remember I would go on and on and she would start going, so like, what's your family like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, why are you, excuse we're not talking about that. Yeah. And it wasn't even a defense thing. I just felt like it was irrelevant. Yeah. You're like, I don't get it. How How is this connected? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then as we went deeper, she would really start asking about my dad. uh, And I always knew as a kid, there were issues in the family. I mean, I saw my parents fight a lot. Mm -hmm. The way that my mother was treated is obviously not right. And I think what's hard still about the time we live in, I think a lot of us have heard about narcissistic abuse, different types of neglect and maltreatment, but people still think abuse just means really verbally mean or smacking or hitting. And I never understood that abuse looks like a lot of gaslighting, manipulating, making someone feel small, making someone dependent on you Mm -hmm. and just... That to me, as a child, I internalized it and knew, hey, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. But I'm Asian. We didn't really talk about anything. We also didn't have the tools. So I think an eating disorder and hating myself was a pretty easy project Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to figure them out because I wasn't even allowed to ask about it. I would say, what's going on with him? What's going on with you? What's wrong Mm -hmm. with you? They'd say, be quiet. Yeah. Well, it's also a way that you're coping. And I think that's like the piece hopefully, of providing some kind of self-compassion to yourself that I think a lot of people often miss when it comes to, you know, whatever kind of behavior they're engaged to that's actually causing them harm or that they realize is, you know, a result of trauma of some kind is that what you were doing was a way to cope. You were doing the best that you could with what you had and where you were at and to not beat yourself up for that, right? Of like, it. looking back, mm. hindsight, you know, maybe not the way that you would want to choose to cope, but it was the best that you knew what to do to protect yourself, to continue to survive, usually. A hundred percent. You all can't see me, but my nodding has become so insane at this point. <laughs> I'm just a bobblehead listening yes. to Taylor. It's true. There was, there was nothing better I could have done. Mm-hmm. Like what, what else could I have had to help distract me, yeah. help keep me in my own, help me survive in some kind of way, help mm-hmm. protect me. I love when you said protect. Yeah. Um, and we forget that when something is a struggle, we forget to see that something like an eating disorder for me was actually my best friend and it was very hard to let go. Yes. And when, and still binge eating and my relationship with food and the need for the numbing and the coping and the mm-hmm. warm hug that a full belly of food gives me is so ingrained in me as a person. And yeah. I've, it was hard for me to bring in that self-compassion piece that you just mentioned because nothing works if it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So if you keep doing it, there's a reason you're doing it and it's giving you something. And that's Mm -hmm. really okay Yeah, until it's not. Well, and I think it's important to actually name that. And one of the things like I love, like in my work, asking people is how does this serve you? Not in a judgmental way, not in a what's the perfect, how do I get a grade A in therapy answer, right? But what do you notice that that was doing for you? And it could be, you know, it was a distraction. It could be it 
made you hate yourself, which you thought was what you needed to feel, right? But like of actually identifying how is this serving me? In what ways am I wanting to continue this? In what ways am I holding on to this because it's doing something for me? And identifying that can sometimes be really scary. So scary because the acceptance piece was so easy for me to confuse as permission to do it. And they're not the same Mm -hmm. for you to, to let, for me to let myself understand what was going on. I think I perceived it as, oh, then I'll never stop doing it. No, you're going to keep doing it if you never accept it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much. It's <laughs> it's a process. It's layered. It takes it time. It takes practice. Um, and, yeah. you know, you started your journey uh, with recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, how long ago? I feel like I only really took it seriously when I was 22. So I'm 28 now, Mm -hmm. but I had started going to therapy, I think when I was 20, 20, yeah, 20, you know, it just took me so long to look at my life. I think the first year of therapy was just, whoa, didn't know how much was buried. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Didn't know I even had feelings. And when I started going to therapy, it was just the first time anyone had really asked how I felt and and I wasn't interrupted. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Major key alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because my parents are very loving and caring. And we do talk about feelings. But the problem in families is uh, it's just easy to trigger other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And so you can't always process your struggles with the person that's causing you distress. Yes. <laughs> doesn't really, really doesn't work out that much. Uh, yeah. Unless they're also going to therapy, which my family doesn't do. Yeah. Does yours? <laughs> Mine does, but you know, sometimes I'm okay, like questioning, awesome. well, what's even going on in there? Um, but right. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you because earlier you were like, you know, my family won't talk about things. You know, being in an Asian mm. family, you know, I'm wondering how your relationship with them or how maybe your experience has impacted them with going to therapy? You know, have they felt supportive of you going to therapy? Have they kind of understood that? How have you navigated, you know, being within an Asian family and being someone, I'm imagining the first person uh, to go to therapy? Well, the funniest thing, Taylor, they still say is, I'm just... I'm so happy that you go to therapy. Mm, I'm sure they are. I'm I'm so proud to know that you're healing and you're growing. And Taylor, you've taught our family so much. And I just am so glad you've brought us the lessons. (laughs) You mean you're so glad you're getting free therapy through my work? (laughs) The child, right? The child as the parent, as the therapist. And I have... I I do hold some anger about it, but not not you know it's not exclusively that. It's I also do appreciate that they are at least receptive and they mm-hmm. do see the value of what I've learned and realized. I mean, I legit told my dad, "Hey, you're an you literally have narcissistic personality disorder." Just so you know, I'm not trying to be mean. I just learned that, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's why I dated one for seven years, and that's why I'm traumatized. Um, just want to let you all know that me and Lauren, who's my sister, are just like real, 
real confused mm-hmm. and fucked up and don't want to, you know, get around people. We don't trust anyone. And we're scared and hypervigilant. But, you know, we get it. You guys didn't know anything. And we love you. <laughs> Have right. a great day. Um, it just, it's just, it's, it really, there, you got to laugh at some point because yeah. you can't change people unless they want to change. And, mm-hmm. but I'm so thankful. They really do ask me how I feel now. Mm. They really do bring it up. Yeah. They listen, they reflect, and it's more than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a really beautiful thing to be able to share with them. And I think, you know, as you bring up, you know, yeah, like you are the child in this scenario. I think while you can on one hand feel grateful or happy or good, Mm -hmm. you know, about the fact that they're receptive to this in the same hand, you can also feel like really resentful and hurt and feel like this is unfair and feel like your inner child is triggered because ultimately that inner child wants to feel cared for. Ultimately that inner child wants to feel seen and wants to feel held and guided and supported by that parental figure. So it's a really weird responsibility and burden that I think a lot of people in our generation and especially within families of color that you have to take that on to, you know, help educate your parents, to care for your parents in a different way, to um, do essentially the work of the family healing, which is a lot. (laughs) So it's so much. And it is so strange to be put in a position. Well, I also really put this on myself. I mean, as a codependent person uh, who obviously happens because you're a child of a narcissist. There's, yeah, you either become a narcissist or codependent. You can't be healthy. Yes, but I would not like say that you, you put that, that on yourself. No I wouldn't say you put I that know. on yourself because now you're blaming yourself. Right, right. Like I learned how to feel like it was my job to fix them yeah. because of the family dynamic and the roles we had and the games we played in the family. Mm-hmm. I felt, you know, my sister was is older and she kind of took the road of being kind of dissociative, which Mm. makes total sense as well. But for me, I'm the one who was like, hello, hello. You know, you, you are also like that too, Taylor. I mean, with what you do is we want to talk about the things that are being buried and it doesn't feel good to hide. Oh yeah. And I can't stand it. No, it it literally, (laughs) like I have a visceral reaction to it when someone like doesn't want to talk about something that is so important to talk about. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of touched on this a minute ago where, you know, when you first went to therapy, it's kind of like, holy shit, especially in your early 20s, because there is so much to be unpacked. Because when you are, you know, child to essentially 18, 19 years old, all of your experience are essentially you being conditioned how to operate in society, how to operate within your family system. Mm -hmm. And when you get out of that, and you start unpacking that and you start kind of finding who you are as a person, oh my goodness, I could not not talk about it. I was like, Mm -mm. everyone in my family knew. They're just like, oh, Taylor's going to talk about this shit. And I I was like, damn straight, I'm going to talk about it. Because y'all are Italian and you don't want to talk about anything, but then you want to sit here and yell at each other for no reason. I was like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. No, and and so stuck in their ways, and and yeah. and oh yeah, a narcissist doesn't like when you're finding yourself. No, hates it. They're like, oh, you have an identity, ha ha. Yeah, right. You know, they don't want you to be independent. And one of the funniest things, just reflecting on what you just said, is my my mom 
I love her to death. Mm-hmm. She's great. She really is good at talking about feelings and stuff, but she still automatically says this to me so much. She says, do we, do we really have to analyze this? <laughs> I'm like, you mean just speak like just, 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 just like a debrief, like about, about what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, I'm sure you've heard that. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Well, I get told that, you know, I'm making problems out of nowhere and that oh. I, I'm just creating drama just to have the drama. And I'm like, wait, no, this is literally here. And I'm just trying to name it because it's fucking with me. <laughs> I'm like, this is not me creating just- problems. I'm just opening your eyes to the fact that there is a problem that you don't want to see because it doesn't impact you because it serves you to ignore it, but it hurts me for it to be ignored. Yeah. Like you said, this is already a, it's here. Yeah. Like this is happening mm-hmm. and you're doing it <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it's you. And um, yeah, that's still very hard for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the hard part too was learning how to branch out and try to find those people. And I'm still really struggling with yeah. building a an intimate friend circle mm-hmm. or or finding partners who are able to have a lot of the skills that I didn't, I was, I don't have the skills. I, I, I got them. I found them. I built them. And it's sometimes still difficult. You know, we're living in 2021 where everyone's woke on Instagram yet interpersonally, it's still such a vulnerable thing Mm -hmm. to be open to discourse and be open to opening your heart. And, you know, we're also really all scared of red flags and you know, it's, it's a lot. It is. I'll be your intimate friend. Can we be intimate friends? Because I like we are. you. No, we are. No, I love you. Like, I really do. And we're not even trauma bonding. We have healed. So this is yes. a healthy bond. It's like, wait, you're you're into healing? I'm into healing? Let's heal. How do we support each other in our healing? No, for real. I know. I love it. And yeah. I, I, I just think that hearing about your family as well, is so comforting to know because I think growing up, I just thought, oh, my family's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Because mm-hmm. I was like, there's no one else experiencing such a weird parent and seeing all these fights and just feeling so confused. And mm-hmm. that is the really cool thing about talking about it is when you say it, you also just get to hear that it happened. I think a lot of us just keep moving. Yeah, it's... It's it's not living in the past. It's just, oh, it happened. Cool. Yeah, well, it's allowing space for it to be valid because so often as we're growing up, these things are not named and we are just moving along. And we're kind of like, we don't necessarily have the language or the education to name it. And mm-hmm. I think not only does it help provide a space for it to be valid for ourselves when we say it out loud? But it also, I think, helps in a way kind of normalize that like you're not alone in it and someone else will be able to relate and then someone else will be able to relate to what that person shares. And it just kind of has like a domino effect and, you know, every every scenario is going to be different. But let me tell you, like, we all got shit. We all got childhood mm-hmm. shit. We all got adolescent shit. We all got finding ourselves young adult shit. If you didn't have shit, you went through 2020. Now you got shit. 
I know. I think about my therapist said something so significant to me, you know, so after I, I was in a, a really long-term relationship for about seven years, it was very on and off. Obviously at the end, I found out he was a narcissist. And mm-hmm. I mean, clearly it wasn't evident through all the manipulation, lying and cheating to me, you know, because I was, I was so brainwashed yeah. and I almost feel very, I not almost, I still often feel very insecure about saying that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just because unless you've experienced it, you truly can't imagine that someone would be that delusionally easily manipulated because I'm not a dumb person. But mm-hmm. when you trust someone, and you love someone and they're so good at what they do, yeah. you just you die off and they take over your head. Yeah. Like I just yeah, I just would believe everything they said, obviously with a with a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. But but you uh, I think. Yeah, because all the other things in our lives, whether it be the family who kind of teaches you to ignore Mm -hmm. your gut or your eating disorder teaches you to ignore your gut physically, you know, it's just, it's all the same. And so my therapist anyway was saying, you know, everyone's got issues. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking for a partner, it's not about finding someone who doesn't have them. It's just finding someone whose issues can mix with yours okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, This, this is part of what made that song really hit. Cause I got issues. Cause you got issues. Yes. I got oh too. Whatever it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good. Yeah, with uh, Julia Michaels yes. and and yeah, yeah. It's such a good song. It's yeah. true. Just that part of like, cause I got issues, but you got them too. It's right. Like, oh yeah, yeah. We do all got fucking issues. But it is, I think, not only finding like what your therapist said of like issues that kind of mesh with yours, but also like issues that are being healed and allowing space oh, hell for yeah. each other's healing, I think is so, so important because, I mean, like you said, you ignore the gut, you know, because maybe within the family system, but I think also, especially for, you know, women within our society, within our culture, like, yeah, you are going to be taught to ignore things because from our overall society, men are right. From our overall society, right. Shut you up and should put be, up. yeah, you should be happy that you were chosen and that you're in this long-term yep. relationship. You're so successful. Look at you in your long-term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, oh, you guys have been together for so long. Uh, yeah. Yep. Correct. We're just doing the same cycle mm-hmm. and I don't even like them. Yeah. That's the strange thing that we often see, not even toxic relationships, just relationships in general. It's uh, I've noticed just with friends or people or just reflecting on myself, you can really love someone, but not like them mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're like, I don't even like anything about you, but I can't live without you. And that everyone, if that's your scenario, not calling you out, just... Just saying it. See, I think Just that there it. is, I think there is something to that though. Cause I think I want to say it was in the office with Jim and Pam where there was a line where at one point, one of them said something about like, I don't really like you right now, but I love you. Um, and I think mm. that like always has kind of stuck with me because yes, you know, I think back to like my highly toxic, very abusive relationships where that was true, how you just shared. And like, that was a, mm -mm, that was a no go. But I think we do have within even like our healthy relationships moments, you know, it's not an overall, like, I don't like you at all, but we do have these moments where it's like, you know what? I love you. And also in this moment, you're really upsetting me and I don't like you very much. (laughs) 
And that's a healthy thing to be able to say. So when you're in a toxic relationship, you don't feel safe enough to say that. That's one of the biggest keys that I realized. If I said that, oh, 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 there would be a tornado, like a fit, like a child Mm -hmm. freaking out. And I would probably have done the same because I was such an insecure person with very low self-worth. So I was perpetuating the cycle as well. You Mm -hmm. know, if uh obviously in a lot of toxic relationships there tends to be an abuser and a codependent or narcissist and a codependent but we're both still super terrible <laughs> like uh uh there's not one angel and one devil ever mm-hmm. because you wouldn't participate in it if it didn't help you but you know yeah i uh Look at us now, girl. Yep, 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 yep. Not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I'm wondering what um, what the process has been like for you with how you perceive your ex. I know when I got out of my... Oh. <laughs> yeah, like I know when I got out of my... My first relationship was the most toxic abusive and all of the ways relationship. Um, and for a long time, I really like demonized him and like just felt so much anger and frustration at him Mm -hmm. for all the ways he like fucked me up and all the ways he hurt me. And Mm -hmm. as we got older and granted, this is like, I was young, I was a teenager and all Mm -hmm. of this. So I've had a lot more time, uh, probably then maybe since your seven year relationship ended, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, over the years of actually being able to feel some kind of like compassion for him and like humanizing him and recognizing where, you know, he had his own traumas. He was very clearly yeah. suffering and very clearly hurting and to be able to sit with that and it not invalidate the ways that I've been hurt, but to also just humanize him and under try to have a better understanding of like why everything happened the way that it did is a really hard process. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what that process has been like for you with maybe your perception of your ex. Oh, I love that you're asking that because it is, I think it would be really important for me to share right now, just like it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really follow the classical path of like how you heal from stuff, but it eventually got on, you know, the five stages of like grief or loss or things like that. But in the beginning, it was, I was 25 and going to a couples counselor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I was really young and I was basically like, hey, can you stop cheating? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, so like maybe we should talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Like I was just doing anything to try to salvage it. And I really cared about him and I knew he was struggling with Mm. other issues and I wanted to be there for him. So I said, okay, let's go together because I'm your partner and I care about you. I've known you since we've been 19. Like Mm. I do care. So I want to sit by you and help you. I think I started becoming his enemy because mm-hmm. anyone who gets in the way of what you want to do, even if they're trying to help, yeah. it's kind of like an addict with a sober friend. It's just you you become the one they hate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was only um, after he and I had a really big blowout fight of me basically saying, hey, I think we should really just split up. Like, I love you, but this is not good for us. I think we're just tanking each other. He didn't like that, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Um he did something really insane and I grabbed a duffel. We lived together. I grabbed a duffel, grabbed a pillow, got in my car and I never went back. Mm. I was like, you need to move out. I'm, I'm not going to talk to you until I, I, I'm not going to talk to you again. I just going to come back and live here when you get out. Mm. 
Um, and the only reason I did that is because the couples counselor that we are going to, I went back to the therapist and I said, hey, this happened. And he sat me down. It was only 10 minutes of a session. Usually it's like an hour. Yeah. But he just said, hey, I'm not diagnosing him, but I think he has narcissistic personality disorder. I think you're a codependent and this is never going to work. I have never heard a therapist ever be so direct in my life. Mm-hmm. I was bold. So... So it, it, it was so sad because I loved him and I wasn't ready to let go, but I just forced myself. Mm-hmm. I had to go no contact, which like you do have to, no contact is this policy that a lot of people in toxic abusive relationships have to do or yeah. else you will always go back. There's just, no, I've gone back 3000 times. Yep. So the beginning first, first, at least six months was scared of realizing all the other issues he had as I was unpacking things. And there's so many more issues. It wasn't just like randomly cheating with a girl. It was just a lot of Mm -hmm. trauma that he was just, it was just, he had a lot of struggles. So I just felt bad and I missed him. And I, it was just like half my body was gone, you know? Um, And then I started feeling angry You know, I'd get angry. Like, how could you treat me like that? How could you do that? I hate you. But I think most of it was me trying to tell myself I hated this person because you kind of have to get angry to heal. You have to get angry. Yeah. And to to not go back. Let go. To not go back too. I mean, for me, it was definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, a way to help cope of like, okay, this is how I don't have a relationship with him and how I can protect myself is that you are terrible and you are bad. Right. Right. And then, uh, so this happened at the end of, this happened in the beginning of 2019. So right now it's July, 2021. And only within the last few months, I really just see it for what it is. Mm. And I really just feel like we really loved each other. We tried. We both had our issues. I was so broken. I was toxic. I was not nice so much of the time. Mm -hmm. I was broken. He fed off of it. I fed off of it. Um, but you know, there's still a lot, res- a lot of resentment. But I, I have a lot of compassion for the love he did give me because I did need it for so much, mm-hmm. and he provided so much. And a lot of people who have struggles have two sides of them. One yeah. of them, is, one side's very loving, the other is a monster. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's maybe what you and I often could hold on to is the the nice part of them. But unfortunately, yeah. that monster just got to take over ninety nine percent at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like one of the really scary parts for me was at one point I had to kind of acknowledge that like part of me liked the monster. Part of me, like this is where I'm like that Ariana Grande, Pete Davidson meme of like cancers, like seeking like emotionally unstable men where, (laughs) where like part of me enjoyed the monster and that served me in certain ways. The chaos is sexy, my girl. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you're crazy. Yeah, same. <laughs> and so, because that's, I think what I sought out when I was so bouncing off the yeah. walls with my struggles and 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 hiding so much of it. And I, I remember honestly craving someone who was also sick mm-hmm. because I felt so ashamed of how yeah. sick I felt internally. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand how much I connect with that Pete Davidson, Ariana Grande relationship. Like my friends will say, I don't see it. I'm like, but even if you're not someone who prefers that, why, how can you not see it? Like, it's so psychologically, Mm -hmm. logically obvious. Like the connection is right there. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's, I felt so attacked when that meme first came out. I was just like, ouch, wow, why you got to out me like that? Damn. (laughs) But I I know. And it is so, (sighs) sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say it's, you know, I think these things sound really fucked up as we say them, but it's also the -hmm. truth. And I think it's really important to name it and to have space for it because otherwise it kind of just stays inside you and starts to eat you up. And it just kind of continues to like present itself in these different ways. And, you know, it doesn't sound great to say, but like, I think it's true for a lot of folks. And if we don't look at it, it's just going to keep happening and again mm-hmm. and again. Yeah. And it's so tiring. Yeah. So then Can't how has it. your dating been? I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about we're that? Talk, we're talking at a very fascinating time of my life right now. Okay. Because yeah. I have not spoken to a dude. Like, I mean, you know, okay. So even though I was in that long-term relationship, you know, you break up and get back together so many times. I've dated other people, you Mm -hmm. know, between I've had many small relationships, hookups, hangouts, whatever, because can't be alone. Mm -hmm. I could in the past. I'm, I can, I cannot recognize that girl. Yeah. Like, I love you so much, but whoa, like you, I know you're going to therapy, but like, you really need to get, (laughs) that poor thing was just flailing around. Like anyone, anyone, anyone love me? Anyone? Yeah. So I, after that long-term relationship, I ended up dating someone else for a good eight months hmm. and, or six months or eight months. And he was wonderful. Like I, I thought he was so great. And turns out he had some addiction issues. Cool. You know, you just, ah, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But like I referenced earlier is when your therapist says to you, it's not that issues are a problem. Yeah. It's how they mesh with yours. Yeah. And I'd already been with someone with addiction. I had already struggled with my own addiction to weed. Mm -hmm. I actually just celebrated a year of sobriety after smoking every day for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just nothing against you, dude. I just, I have to care about myself and it was hard to let go. But I said, if I don't start understanding that I can't do it all, I can't, I'm just going to die. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this year I, I I actually recently have started talking to someone and no one knows that yet. <laughs> but um, how are you feeling about it? I feel really good because I feel like a different person, mm. and I've never interacted with a person in a way where I'm not so self conscious or I'm mm-hmm. not trying to make them my boyfriend, um, or I just. I am in this phase of my life where I think I just want to be myself and Hmm. I don't want a boyfriend. I really want to meet people and just explore and be like sexually free and like Mm -hmm. feel like I get to just choose. And I think even if I met someone I really, really liked, I know you can't control you how you feel, but I wouldn't want to let myself be in a relationship for just a while, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because... It, it is it is hard to find yourself for me. For me, it's hard to stay myself mm-hmm. if I'm in a relationship at this point in my life. Yeah. It's not that I never will be able to, but one hard thing that I think a lot of us feel is, oh, well, you can do it. It's like, no, I can, but I also acknowledge maybe not now. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. Because right? people are like, no, you'll be fine. It's like, no, I I know, but I don't 
I don't need to take more on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that just also speaks to like your awareness about yourself and what your needs are because you might recognize, you know, maybe part of you feels like you maybe want that, but then recognizing what you actually need at this point in your life and that maybe just that exploration and that freedom and that adventure of exploring yourself and how you show up in these different ways in your life is perhaps more the priority than, you know, oh, I want to feel connected, right? I want to feel like I have somebody side by side, you know, kind of maybe starting to slip down the slope of revisiting some of that codependency and finding your worth in someone else and all of that and wanting to be like really aware of that whole process and any of those, um, you know, behaviors that might start to resurface and kind of going slow with yourself. Yeah. And you know what, Taylor, I, I don't want to know how you are every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just don't, it's not that I don't care. I just don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't need you to ask me because that's what I was just used to was like someone just, yeah. I know a lot of relationships aren't like that, but they just can become like very, you know, routine-ish and stuff. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. for you, like what's, what's, what's on your end? What's going on <laughs> in your life? Well, I decided to implement a very scary boundary where okay, I basically decided I'm, for the time being, not going to share anything at all related to my dating life. Um, you know, I think in the past, first of all, sometimes it's just, it's just scary in general because, because oh, people yeah. found me from being on the show people off the bat were just so invested in my dating life, right? And that's like one of the most vulnerable parts of my life. That is like my heart is in that a thousand and ten percent. And, you know, with everything with my tweets coming back up, you know, my partner was getting like death threats on my behalf, you know, and there's just so much that I feel like I have to protect myself from with being a public person that I just don't want to expose the people in my life to that. Yeah. And I want to like just protect and nurture that romantic relationship. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, well, you know, this is a really weird part and, you know, like it changes up the way that I go about my life and the way that I share my life on social media. Mm-hmm. But it feels so much better, at least for now, you know, that like, I'm not talking about if I'm with someone, if I'm not with someone, if I'm out doing things, who I'm doing them with, like all of that. I just, it's strange and it's weird because I like know people want to know and I feel like I I love talking about it. I do, but Mm -hmm. I know that it's not safe for me to talk about publicly and it's not safe for the people in my life to be talked about publicly in that way either. So um, it's really sad and really, I hate it. And so part of me wants to fight against it and be like, no, fuck that shit. I'm still gonna be able to share and not Mm -hmm. let you like ruin my shit. But I can't do that. I have to, yeah. Well, I really commend you for that. And honestly, it for me, I've always never shared like mm-hmm. any about like the people, like what I meant. I never have ever posted, like no one would ever have known. I had a boyfriend yeah. for the last how many years I've been online. Um, and it was just because 
it didn't feel relevant. Like what yeah. I feel is relevant is when I talk about the way I feel mm-hmm. about certain things and has nothing to do with exposing, you know, the person or sharing details about the relationship and stuff. And I think for you, it's it's definitely such a shift. And I'm really proud of you for taking and doing what you need because Thanks. just like what you said, what what started you is also probably why it feels even more invasive. When mm-hmm. you know someone wants to know something about you, mm-hmm. you feel like once you feed it to them, it's kind of like a vulture situation. Oh, yeah. And even though they're not, even if they're not acting that way, it can feel this way. Yes. And so I actually was just telling my therapist, uh, too recently, it's strange that what we do online, because a lot of it's just sensationalizing mm-hmm. uh, our real life. And you figure out ways to make everything you do look a little clickbaity. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Yeah, it is very, and very strange what we do online. It is. And I, I just said to her, you know, I just don't want to keep screaming for attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that is what in i mean sorry everyone it is what at least i do so it's got to be what we're all doing mm-hmm. and um and then she said okay so let's unpack that have you had to do that in your life i'm like correct mm-hmm. you know you you really got to you got to be real sick you got to be real struggling to get the fam to pay attention to get the partners to pay yep. attention but you also don't want to bother anyone so it's all just it's really interesting to look at kind of how social media for me used to be really much more of like a fun playground where mm-hmm. it was like a little bloggy kind of everyone was really invested, but there's just so many people on it that sometimes it just feels like if you're not screaming and crying or yeah. super fun, it's like, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. I ask myself that literally every day. All I'm of like, us do what's really sad. Who Taylor. fucking cares? Why do I need to post something? Why do I need to share this? And then there's times where I'm like, oh my God, it's just so sad. I have to share this on social media. I know. <laughs> I know. And it, the scary part of it is that we're all noticing too. It's become a business. It's become yeah. jobs. It becomes a... And so how strange. I mean, I did it every single day with a full-time job as an academic researcher at a university secretly hiding that I had oh, this God. whole... I had a YouTube. I had an Instagram. I was making videos. I was. It's like the polar opposite of like the life I was living and the life I was doing online. And I made $0 from it. So I think what, what I see now on Instagram, that's why I think it's so strange mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Well, now it is your work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I think all of us know this when something you love becomes your job, it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you love, if you love singing and you start only doing gigs, you're like, what the hell? If you love knitting and you start having to make commissions for people, you're like, hate knitting. Yep. Not if you hate it. I don't want to project my experience on everyone, but it changes. Yeah. And I, and I hate that it changes, but, um, you feel that way ever? Uh, you know, this whole last year, I think really fucked me up in a lot of different ways. Um, before... I would say like 2019, I really wasn't doing a lot of partnerships on Instagram. Stay, never, like there was none, zero. I had to fight if I wanted a decent right. rate. It was brands that I wasn't <laughs> super excited about, but I was like, you know, there'd be a few here and there that I'd be really like, oh, this is what, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. Wow. I'm so happy this came to me. And it's also paying me barely anything, but you know, it's right. something. So, okay, cool. You know, I'll take, I'll 
I'll, I'll do it while I can, but I didn't approach it like a actual business. I was just kind of like, Oh, okay, sure. This brand wants me to do this thing. Okay. And you know, kind of right before COVID hit, it kind of started amping up where I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. this is kind of turning into like a business. This is kind of turning into like actual work that I'm like invested yeah, because in. influencership and things like that influencer partnerships and and this whole world really did not exist fully until yeah. probably end of 2018 and it was just beginning mm-hmm. so yes. it's still quite new yeah and I think you know the way I engage you know obviously after the show it all becomes a popularity contest and it's like well who's getting the most followers who's getting the most likes and once i left my relationship from the show i kind of just hit a moment of like you know what fuck this shit i'm gonna post what i want to post and here's me picking strawberries and here's me at a farm and this is the stuff i like and this is the stuff i want to post because i felt like i was trying to perform for people and to show up in this way that they that I thought and I knew that they wanted me to show up in, you know? Right. It's not like you're just, it's not all in your head. That's the hard part too. When people just say, post what you want. Listen, people follow you for a reason. And so it is your, it is a duty to deliver. It's not one or the other. Of course I can do whatever I want, Mm -hmm. but I can't also only always do just whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah. I post the photo I want to post and it'll get, 1,500, 2,000 likes. I post oh, the I one it's, that I know people are going to want, 11,000. Isn't that scary? It, okay. And I'm like, how the about, fuck does this happen? Let's I hate talk it about the depressive state that follows that, how sickening it is to yeah. notice for me. How, does, how do I still get affected? Like, who cares? But guess what? I guess I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you can it's also analyze because it's as business. much as you want. So you're also looking at it, you know, and it's like on one hand, yes, it's your like personal stuff of what you're like, oh, I really cared about that and nobody else does apparently. Mm -hmm. But then it's also this like, oh, well, now that lessened my engagement. And if I have to post an ad today or tomorrow, you know, how do I then get that up? And it's like very strange. I mean, 2020 was like literally the most accelerated, just wild roller coaster of Instagram partnerships. And now that I've like had a break from it, I'm like, I don't know how I was operating like that. How in the world was I creating and operating and engaging in the way that I was? was, You know why? It's because the whole world was not, that's why I was in trauma. Correct. You're on a lot of us, right? There were yeah. there were so many times, I think, in 2020, we were all, you know, just really depressed and unable to do anything. But also because we were not allowed to do anything because of the state of the world, we were hyper mm-hmm. productive and focused. But okay, what I'm curious about is I've heard so many people make a comment of like, Oh, if I just got on a reality show, I would get so many followers. And I think that is like such a, when I hear that, I'm like, is that the world we're living in right now where that would be the life goal? Apparently. Isn't that just interesting to hear? I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when people do ask me, you know, oh, how'd you get your following? Or like someone's like, they don't know I was on the show. And they're just like, oh, you have a big following, you know, and whatever. And I have to explain like, you know, look, I have a hella respect for folks who 
just grow their following based on sharing their story, you know? And I didn't do that, you know? I mean, I guess in some way, but not really where I'm like, I didn't intentionally seek this out. I didn't, you know, it, it was not a given, especially as a woman of color going on a show with the, with the audience it has. And at the time, yeah. it's not a guarantee that anybody's going to give a shit about you. There are many girls right. that walk away with, you know, 5,000 followers, you know, maybe right. 10. Um, so it I is know. not a guarantee, but I think that has become the focus for many people. And I'm kind of like, well, be careful what you wish for. And I don't know if you know what kind of audience you're about to get. <laughs> okay. I guess if you want to make some money, that's what you want to do. I know. It is so strange to have something now where you can make money because I just did it for so long with not. Mm-hmm. And I feel guilty about it. Also, I grew up, we grew up really, really poor. So yeah. for me, the scarcity mindset and never having any money has yes. always just been how I am and taking out loans, paying off loans, paying everything for myself, never moving back home. But that's like a normal experience. And I think a lot of um, maybe teens and young people don't know that uh, that's most of us. Mm-hmm. So what you see is like, I've, I just have lived such a different, I can't show you a documentary of my life yeah. and I'm not going to make one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I could. That'll be sick, but yeah. uh, no. But I love that you are, I think, similar to how I was operating, being intentional about who you do partner with. And you just did one yeah. with, um, I believe it was a probiotic for IBS. And yes. I was oh, just gosh. like, I yes. love, I love that you... I have other feelings and thoughts that I'll share with you after, but, um, you know, I think I love seeing women just own their literal shit and not being, not feeding into a lot of the patriarchal messaging and gender stereotyping of women and how they're supposed to show up. And I just love, I was like, Oh, look at her on her squatty potty. I was like, yes, girl, squatty potty for life. I was like, yes, that is a key. Um, well, when I saw your DM response to me, so everyone, Taylor is so sweet. She's referring to, um, so over the last two years, I've really opened up finally about this inner struggle I've had my whole life, which is I've been constipated my entire life mm. and it really fucks with you, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally yeah. with the eating disorder and feeling like, bloated, full of poop. Literally. I mean, I've had to get colonics because I didn't poop for a week and a half Yeah, and it's like painful and scary. And I used to think it was really gross, but the more that I was suffering internally and in secret and not sharing it yeah. with people online, which I don't have to, but it's something that I felt so disgusted by in my own struggle that I would never want other people to feel like it's weird mm-hmm. or bad. So yeah. I felt like I should share uh, what's going on. And I started talking about, Hey, I'm super constipated all the time. I can't poop. I started seeing a gastroenterologist more seriously. I've been seeing one for many years for like acid reflux and, and gastroesophageal reflux disease. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, I started having to see a colorectal surgeon. I got Botox injections in my butt, like in my pelvic floor things. And I started just talking about that because I felt really stuck and only, I had to dedicate so much time to seeing all these doctors for months and months. And people often will just say, take some Benefiber and call it a day. And I just felt there's got to be some other people, especially people who have 
had a history of disordered eating mm-hmm. to be unable to use the bathroom in a way that's functional. Yeah. There's such a big connection between not having a strong relationship with your body, hence not strong relationship with your bowels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny now that I'm just someone who people think is like the poop girl on Instagram or the lack thereof, I guess. <laughs> Well, I love it that you're being honest and sharing that because I think even just your thought process along it, because I've felt very similarly, like if I'm struggling with this internally and I'm shaming myself on it because I think I'm the only one or because I think I'm somehow flawed and broken because of this, I need to say it. I need to share it because that will break it down. That will help it to lose its power Mm -hmm. and it will, will remind me that ultimately I'm not alone and... I love that you're doing this, that you're sharing this about constipation and, and IBS because it's not gross. It's literally your no, body. Not, not at all. And I think the, you know, just take a whatever it was and call it a, call it a day. Like that's not really addressing what's <laughs> gotta going on. You got to take your probiotics, peeps. You got to go to the doc. You got yeah. to gotta, you gotta actually let yourself see what's going on because the suffering is not your life. This, it's not normal. Like it isn't. It, it shouldn't be this way. And, but it is funny when I think about all the things I post and I'm like, oh, there's, there's guys that would see it. I didn't give a shit because guess what? You're going to have to really know it if you're ever in my life. You're going to really know a lot. So you better get ready. Yes. That has been my exact thought. Even like in the past, sometimes when like I would share, you know, like, oh, like I'm tweezing my lip hair, you know, like something I used to be so insecure about where before I'd go to post, I'd be like, oh, what if like some guy sees this? And then I'm like, mm. I got 93% women and whatever guys are going to see it. Yeah. They're going to know eventually when I like don't tweeze for a month that like I have fucking hair on my lip and what are (laughs) they really not going to kiss me because of that? If they're not, then we got bigger problems. Oh yeah. Well, that's so much growth. I think that I've noticed um, only really with the help of therapy is when you fully accept yourself, you actually want other people to see you in totality. Mm -hmm. So I'm not interested in a guy ever even seeing me as like a whatever, a pretty version of myself. Dude, I don't care Mm -hmm. at all. But how long did that take? So long. Yeah. Because... uh, we're not going to be having fun all the time. I'll probably just be complaining about having shit in two yeah. days. That, that's what's going to be what we're doing. Yes. So, <laughs> I love it. I wish Chicago was closer and you're just amazing. You, I'm so happy that you came on here today and that we were able to actually like chat and connect because I love everything you share and I'm like so happy for you and the healing that you're doing and how you're sharing it because you're definitely helping other people um and I'd love for you to maybe kind of share all the places where people can find you and how people can support the work that you're doing and um kind of you know join your online community Thank you, Taylor, for having me. I think you're such a good interviewer, by the way. Not even interviewer, just like the conversation we've had. I forgot we were recording this. And I love the work that you are doing and the space you provide for conversations like this. And your energy Mm -hmm. is just so, so magnetic. Um, You all can find me on Instagram. Just search Kelly U. That's the letter U. You can find me on YouTube where I talk about um, recovery, body image, constipation, just sharing my life. And I have a podcast called 
the Therapy Thursday podcast. You can find it everywhere. And uh, it's every single Thursday where I learn lessons from my own therapy sessions and I share them with you. Taylor, you're the best. Yes, you are too. I love that that's what you're doing with your podcast. This is amazing. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on today. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.